10 through 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. He's talked about God who raised the dead. And he adds, who delivered us. Who delivered us from so great a death. And doth deliver. In whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons. Thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you were. For we write none of the things unto you than what we read or acknowledge. And I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. As also you have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing even as ye also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, in the first epistle of Corinthians, Paul set out with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to correct and to instruct the Corinthians concerning issues that had become very big in their church. In 2 Corinthians, because some false teachers have defamed the apostle. He feels it necessary to defend himself. I must confess, until God put me in First and Second Corinthians, I did not have much appreciation for someone who would get up and defend themselves. My thoughts were, well, if you're right, God will take care of. And I believe it. However, Paul was fearful that this church had been maimed by the false accusations of false teachers. And so he over and over defends his apostleship. And he nurtures this relationship between the Corinthians and himself. We've noticed in these verses that everything Paul has talked about, even in his situation, he said it's for you. And it's our situation. He has a heart for these saints in Corinth. And I believe that that is the essence of real ministry, is having a heart for the people. It's difficult to minister and to assist hearts that are not in your heart. For many years, I was in the church. But I'm thankful for the day 
that God in His grace put the church in me. Makes such a big difference. I've emphasized three truths in these days on our troubles. Paul used the term in verse 4, our tribulation. In verse number 8, he referred to our trouble. Same term. Same emphasis. We've looked at two themes thus far. On Monday evening, I've said some things about the holy design of our troubles. God has a purpose in all things. God does not do things at a venture. He carries out His purposes. He brings to pass the good pleasure of His will. And then last night, the Lord was gracious to help us. As we looked in verses 8 and 9, we looked at verses 3 through 7 on Monday night. Last night, verses 8 and 9, and I talked to you about the human despair in our troubles. Yes, there is a holy design. But it's very possible, as witnessed here by the Apostle Paul himself, that we can be pressed out of measure, above strength, and even despair of life. He thought he was going to die in this trial. Tonight, I'd like to use these remaining verses down through verse 14 and say a word or two tonight about the heavenly deliverance from our trials, our troubles. Now, let me make this clear at the outstart. I am very aware that God does not always deliver us from our trouble. Sometimes He delivers us through our trouble or in our troubles. I feel that's what He did to the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. He didn't take them out of the fire but He delivered them through the fire. And yet here, Paul indicates in this particular situation that God delivered him from the trouble. That He had been brought out of it. He did deliver us from so great a death, He said. For a period of about a year, a year and a half, while our house was in building back in the early 90s, we stayed in my grandmother's old house. She had gone to be with the Lord and the house was empty. It was a good, a good time for us as a family, but it was the wrong time of year to stay in that old house. We did well for three or four months, but when November winds began to blow and December ice began to lay and January snow began to fall, we longed for another dwelling. And that old wood stove just couldn't seem to carry the mail. And we ended up bringing all of our mattresses 
and, and blankets in around the stove in the living room. And we had some great times as a family. Uh, our middle daughter is our animal lover. She's our conservatory. Any wounded animal that comes by, she thinks she has to take care of it. And uh, while we were staying there in Mima's house, as we've called it through the years, a bird flew into the front door. And uh, Angela happened to hear it and went out, and it was sort of in a stunned, unconscious type state when she found it. We really thought it was dead. And she nursed that bird back to health. We got a cage for it. Uh, we took care of it. I don't know how it happened, but the bird just became a member of the family. We, it would fly up and get in our hair, and uh, it was quite an experience. Uh, of course, those of you who know me know that that is not me. But uh, we were in Memma's house, and so we put up with it. i tell you that little story to point out that here was a little creature that was pressed out of measure, literally above strength, exceeding strength. And it was wounded, and even we despaired that it would live. But Angela, in her loving way, nurtured that little bird to help, and uh, we lived to see it. Uh, become strong again. But I, I believe Paul is, is giving us a picture like that here. He said, I thought I was a goner. I thought it was over. But God raiseth the dead and he delivered us. And I, I want to preach tonight on that deliverance, the heavenly Deliverance from our trouble. Now, I've always wanted to preach a message from verse number 10, and I've never had the liberty to do so. And I promise I'm not going to preach all night on verse 10. Uh, I would say this, and these evangelists will say amen. One of the things that we covet, you know, the pastor sometimes covets to be an evangelist, where he won't have to put up with certain deacons or certain people. We just come in and preach and we're gone, you know. And uh, I'll, I'll not say any more at that point. But uh, the pastor at times would covet to our position and we as evangelists would covet the pastor position, especially when it comes to preaching verse by verse. I try to do as much of it as I can, but traveling and being in a different environment every week and sometimes more than one environment a week, uh, I find myself having to go to some general emphases from time to time. But here is a text that has loomed big in my spirit through the years. It's, it's actually deliverance in three tenses. 
And so I would mention firstly tonight from verse 10, this deliverance that is given from trouble involves firstly the intervention of God's power. The intervention of God's power. I'll say, I'll say a few other things tonight about how God delivers. But I, I would magnify this as basic. This is foundational. This is the first, the first works. It must be God who delivers us. Sometimes we give credit to this and credit to that. And please don't misunderstand me. I believe God uses all kinds of channels in working in our lives. But, but it wasn't somebody's prayers who saved you. It was Jesus who saved you. And it wasn't uh, the Sunday school class that saved you. It was Jesus who saved you. Sometimes we get wrapped up in various themes. I've heard this in, in the last 15 years very strongly. If we don't have revival, this thing's gone. Well, revival is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He often works through revival. I've even heard it about Christian education, and I'm 100% for Christian education. But I've heard some say, if it wasn't for the Christian school movement, there would be no hope. No, Christ is our hope. And God was well able to educate Moses in Egypt and call him out of Egypt and use him in delivering exercises as the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. However, may I remind you, back behind it all, it is God who delivers. It is God who brings out. And here, Paul zeroes in on that first. This is the great foundation. He said, God, who delivered us? Didn't sound like he needed any help, did it? He did it. God did it. Who delivered us? I would begin by saying, first of all, we have past intervention. Past intervention. Paul is no longer in this dire strait in Asia. He has been delivered from it, and so he looks back at this intense setting as a scene where God has delivered him. It's a past intervention. I want to encourage someone tonight who feels perhaps that you can't trust God where you are. You're having difficulty believing Him and laying hold to His promises. By faith, could I encourage you to go back down memory lane and look at what God has already wrought in your life. Yeah, but Tom, you don't know where I am now. Yeah, but how did you get where you are now? God delivered. God delivered in days gone by. Uh, last year I preached a couple of sermons out of John's Gospel here. And I've gone through John's gospel in the last couple of years, preaching from place to place. 
and hoped in the future to have it in, in book form. But I, I, I noticed when I got to chapter 14 that the emphasis seemed to be on believing. Jesus said in verse 1, You believe in God, believe also in me. And then about ten verses later, uh, He said, I, I've said these things that you might believe. And then He added, this is the Hayes translation, If you can't believe my word, believe me for my work. That's what he had already done. And I got to thinking through John's gospel about what he had already done. He he had turned water into wine, chapter 2. He had healed the nobleman's son, chapter 4. He had raised the man uh, up at the pool of Bethesda. He had fed the multitude, chapter 6. He had opened the blind man's eyes, chapter 9. And most recently, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And he said, fellas, if you're having trouble believing me in the present tense, look back at what I've already done. Ah, listen. He has delivered. He has delivered. I'm here tonight. You are here tonight as testimonies to past intervention. He has delivered from so great a death. Then Paul, as he magnifies the intervention of God's power, not only speaks of past intervention, but he speaks of present intervention. He said he delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. Now he doesn't tell us Exactly from what he has delivered. But he said he is presently delivering me. He not only has, but he is. The God of yesterday is the God of today. Could we make some present tense applications to our own experiences? Where we are, what we're up against, what we're facing. Perhaps physically, financially, maritally. In our families, uh, perhaps in our churches, in friendships and relationships. May I say the God who delivered in days gone by is well capable of delivering in the present tense. He doth deliver. He doth deliver. I'm thinking of those things that have happened today. Things that you and I were totally unaware of. And God delivered us. God delivered us. Somebody said, well, I've just learned how to handle temptation. I've learned how to handle unusual situations. But God doth deliver. Oh, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That word looking is only used that one time in the New Testament. Looking away from everything else, the uh, the word indicates. Looking away from everything else unto Jesus. He's the only deliverer. He gives past intervention and deliverance. 
And right now, he is presently delivered. Someone may really be burdened about a loved one. All of us carry these type burdens. We try sometimes to blame ourselves for what has happened or blame someone else. But in the final analysis, we know only God can deliver. But could I say to someone tonight, God may be delivering right now. He is a God who brings past intervention and He brings present intervention. And Paul said, I'm trusting Him in whom we trust that He will yet deliver. <laughs> Prospective intervention, future deliverance was on Paul's mind. He believed the God of yesterday is not only the God of today, but He is the God of tomorrow. And He will deliver. As has already been stated, this meeting will conclude tonight. And all of us will go back to our respective places of service. Our homes, our jobs, our circumstances. But let me remind you the God who has been gracious to manifest Himself in these services. The God who has warmed our hearts with His Word. And the God who has called us by His Spirit and wooed us by His grace in these days is the God who will go with us as we leave this meeting. Some folks, I wonder if they don't try to live from camp meeting to camp meeting, from revival to revival, or from conference to conference. Oh, Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. Not for to me to live is conference, or for me to live is camp meeting, or for to me to live is revival, but for to me to live is Christ. And when there are no camp meetings and revivals and conferences, Christ is near. The eternal Christ is the same and He delivers now and He'll deliver in days to come. Ah. Uh, I thank Him tonight for being the God of the three tenses. I love to hear folks talk about what God did in the past. God sent a mighty revival through my hometown in 1952. In fact, the people in the various churches in my hometown now, the older people, were saved in that meeting. My dad was saved in that year, 52, the year I was born. And God was pleased to move mightily. And I love to hear them talk about that meeting and how God worked from service to service. And from, from uh, one prayer time to another prayer time. I want to tell you the God of the 50s is the God now of 06. I want to, I want to see God deliver now. The God who has broken the chains and the fetters of sin's power in days gone by is the God who can do it again. He delivers again and again and again and again. 
This heavenly de- deliverance involves firstly, foundationally, basically, the intervention of God's power. May our hearts trust Him afresh. Notice in verse 11, however, this heavenly deliverance not only involved the intervention of God's power, but it involved the intercession of God's people. Now Paul has just magnified the God of the three tenses. And his delivering power, his intervention. And yet, he adds in verse 11, Ye also, helping together by prayer for us. He said that the gift bestowed upon us, this seems to be a, a reference to what the church has given. Perhaps what the other churches have given as he comes back to Corinth. He's bringing back money from other churches and then he's expecting Corinth to help him and eventually take it to the church at Jerusalem and minister to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he said, ye have helped us by prayer, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. God delivered us, and he used your prayers in our deliverance. (laughs) This is the other side of the coin. Yes, God is the mighty deliverer. But He often delivers. He often shakes loose the the authority of the enemy through the ministry of prayer. I certainly, I refuse, without hesitation, I refuse to make prayer the Savior. No, prayer is not the Savior. But the Savior often works through the vehicle of prayer. Of course, He arouses our prayers. He he incites our prayers. He energizes our prayers. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. And yet Paul said, you were a part of my deliverance. God intervened by His power. And you interceded in my behalf. And now I've lived through it and will be able to take the gift to those saints in Jerusalem. I want to mention just two or three thoughts about intercession. First of all, I would, I would take that word helping. It, it implies work. Spurgeon said earnest work. Uh, the idea is that these folks have not played with prayer. They have not toyed with prayer. But they have toiled in prayer. They have persevered in prayer. They have have labored. And so I mentioned firstly under the intercession of God's people. This aspect of intercession, Paul says, I'm grateful for the labor of intercession. I don't have to tell you, you know 
Real prayer is not something that you do right before you go to bed for a couple of minutes. You're laboring. I said real prayer. It reminds me of our grandson. He's always been a, a cowboy. We bought him, you know, the suit and the guns. One day he was coming through the house. Boy, he was walking like a real cowboy. And I, I said to him, Thomas, you are a genuine cowboy. He said, Papa, I'm not a genuine cowboy. He said, I'm a real cowboy. <laughs> I want to tell you, Paul is not talking about pretense here. He's talking about genuine intercessors. Real intercessors. These are more than those who are just heard when praying around other people. They carry the load. They, they carry the burden. They labor. They help. They support through their prayers. <laughs> I think I've told you about the dear lady, Miss Laddie Davis in North Carolina. I got behind one month in sending out our little publication. And uh, she called me and she said, you have not sent me your schedule. I said, no, Miss Laddie, we're late. We're running a couple of weeks late. She said, well, I've never told you why I always want to make sure you get it to me on time. But, but she said, I, I take out my little atlas and... I find these towns where you're preaching on the atlas. And she said, I pray for the church and the town and the pastor. And you, I said, Miss Laddie, you'll get a schedule a year ahead of time. Oh, thank God for people who labor. Thank God for people who help, who support in the ministry of prayer. I'm thinking of those four friends who pulled together to help the, the crippled man. They helped him get up on top of the building. They removed the tiling and helped him get through the roof. They helped him right down into the presence of Jesus. Oh, such is the nature of intercession. It takes others and carries them through difficult settings and eventually brings them right into the presence of the Lord Jesus. The labor of intercession. And then I must use that other word, together. Ye also helping together. This indicates that there's more involved than a one-man show. We are very personality conscious in this hour. Two personality conscious. We like to polish one another's egos and, and shine one another's pedigrees. And I want to tell you, real intercession does not isolate one individual. It connects the saints together. And so I mentioned, secondly, we not only learn something of the labor of intercession, work 
energy, earnestness. But we learn, secondly, something of the link of intercession. We are a body. The church is not isolated individuals. The church is a body. And we work together. I, I cannot minister to every need in the body. But God has another man to stand and he ministers to some. And others minister to others. And others minister in various capacities. And we may not all sound alike, act alike, move alike, think alike. But God in the body is ministering to the needs of his people. And he's linking us together that we might pray in an intercessory way for one another. I would, I would love to be added to your prayer list. I would love to be mentioned at the throne of grace in your prayers. And I know that you would love to be mentioned by me and others. You remember when Peter got out of prison? Yes, the Lord delivered him. Ah, but that crowd is helping together through prayer. They're laboring. They're linked together. <laughs> Little Rhoda couldn't even hardly believe that it was Simon. Uh, but uh, the folks inside were still praying. He's already set free. But uh, they're still praying. They're linked together for him. Oh, may we pull together. And then I would mention that they're praying and Paul's deliverance involved coming from death to life. Now, my criticism of you may not minister to the body. That'll bring death. But my prayers for you will bring life. So I mentioned thirdly, the life of intercession. Paul said, I, I was up against so great of death, and the sentence of death was in us. But he said, God delivered, and ye also helping together by prayer that I might live and take the, the gift on to the needy saints in Jerusalem. There is the life of intercession. Thought of Elijah as he got on that body of that dear widow's son head to head. Arm to arm, leg to leg, feet to feet. Stretched his body out over that little child. And as he interceded, or as he took the place of intercession, the little one came back to life. I say there is the life-giving nature of intercession. Somebody said, well, my Sunday school class is the deadest class in the church. Well, why don't you somehow engage in the life-giving ministry of prayer and watch God transform that class into a living scene of worship? My church is the deadest church in the county. They've been doing it this way for a thousand years. They're not going to change. Hey, when Isaiah saw the glory of God in that vision... 
He said the pillars of the sanctuary shook and trembled. We're not talking about a movable structure at the temple. We're talking about a very permanent established building. But there was a shaking. There was a moving. When we cry out to God and God is pleased to intervene, there are things that move that we didn't think would move. Prayer brings life. May the Spirit of God help us to sense it afresh. I believe that the weakest sermon bathed in prayer will have a life-giving influence. The most the stammering lips, the, hesit- the hesitancy, and the reluctance of personality all fades out of the picture when someone prays. <laughs> I'm talking to you about someone who prays. They bring life. You may not be able to say what you want to say like somebody else, but if you can pray, God will breathe life into what you're saying. You may not be able to sing as effective as someone else. You may not be able to uh, to be as charismatic as someone else and and your personality be so uh, moving around people as others. But if you pray, that makes up all the difference. The life of intercession. Before we leave tonight, let me briefly mention verse 12. I've enjoyed verses 10 and 11 so much. Talking about how God delivers. There's the intervention of God's power, verse 10. There's the intercession of God's people, verse 11. And verse 12 along with verses 13 and 14. Thirdly, we have the ingredients of God's principles. Paul did not live a life void of divine principles. And he says, this is my testimony. He said, I I don't care what these false apostles tell you. He said, I'm speaking from my conscience. That in simplicity and godly sincerity... Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you were. He said, the principles of God have become ingredients in my life. And he said, these principles are delivering principles. First of all, he mentions the ingredient of simplicity. Just to be brief here, the word simplicity means single-mindedness. It's as though Paul is reliving why Christ came. Jesus had one purpose. That was to please the Father. And He did so in death. We heard this morning that He saw the travail of His soul and was satisfied. 
Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He said uh, that uh, he had come to do his Father's work, his Father's will. And so there was single-mindedness in Christ coming. And Paul said, I have had that same single-mindedness working in me. I have not come to try to take advantage of the saints. I have not come to try to exercise my authority. I have not come to impress you with my fleshly wisdom. But he said, I have come with one single desire, and that was to please God. Single-mindedness has a delivering force in it. And then he adds, not only the ingredient of simplicity, but the ingredient of sincerity. Godly sincerity. You've heard us use this term before. The word means uh, to, to see through. That uh, potter might have a vessel to break, but he was a master in camouflaging that crack. And he would put a substance in it and put it back together and then paint over it. And you wouldn't see it until you held it up to the sunlight. Then you could see the crack behind the paint where he'd filled it in. Paul said, I was see-through. I was real. I, I lived in godly sincerity. Forgive my... Uh, my little emphasis here, but Paul is saying, I was not a crack pot. I was real. I was genuine. I believe there's delivering force in that. Then he said, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. <laughs> We have the ingredient of sufficiency. And those last two verses, basically he's saying, and you acknowledge me in part, but he said, I know that in the end you're going to acknowledge us and we're going to be your rejoicing just like you are our rejoicing in the day of our Lord Jesus. So the power of purity, single-mindedness, sincerity, utter dependence upon the grace of God. When I was 15 years of age, I went swimming with some of my friends. I was never a good swimmer. My dad was not a good swimmer, but he taught me what he knew. He knew how to dog paddle. Hadn't I? I knew how to dog paddle. Some of my friends wanted to go over to the pond and swim, and so I went with them. We had a good time. We had a one of the first little slides that I knew of there in that little pond. Then some of them said, Let, let's go over to the, uh, to the little deck out there in the middle of the lake. Let's, let's go out there. Let's jump off. I said to my buddy James, I said, James, you know I can't jump off. I'm not a diver. James told me, he said, Tom, if you'll just jump off, let your feet go down first, You'll hit bottom, then you can kick, kick off the bottom, and you can come back over here to the little dock. And so, 
I got in line and I jumped. And my feet hit the bottom and I kicked off the bottom and I dog paddled back over to the dock. Boy, I enjoyed it. It's the first time I'd ever done it. So I got in line to do it again. I didn't go down feet first. And I never hit the bottom. My buddy James saw that I was struggling. Being a great diver, he dove off of that dock and got down underneath me and pushed me back up. I want to tell you, God works by His mighty power through the prayers of His people. Mother, don't give up now. Keep praying for that son, that grandson. Dad, don't give up now. Keep praying for that daughter, that granddaughter. God delivers by His mighty power. Been so kind, would you stand with me?